July 21st, 2022. We're in Masechet Sanhedrin and Sadi Dalid Amudbet, if you count from the bottom. Three lines up, it's just uh, about eight, ten words before the end of the line. Uh, the Gemara was in the midst of citing this Pasuk. The Pasuk said, Sahali Kolech Bat Galim. And those words, the Gemara mistake, mistook initially as the names of different places along the way of Sanherib as he was coming to attack Israel. But now the Gemara says those words really were not places that Sanherib stopped at, but rather, Navihu de Ka'amar la likneset Israel. It's the Navi, it's Yeshaya turning to Am Israel and telling them. Uh, well, some sort of message. What's the message? Sahali kolech bat galim bitoshel Avraham Yitzchak v'Yaakov she'asu misvot kegale hayam. He turns to Am Yisrael and he says to them, "You should be rejoiceful in your voice. You should be singing songs of praise to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. You, the children of Avraham Yitzchak and Yaakov, that's why you're known as." the daughter of waves. They were filled with mitzvot-like waves. Uh, and as a result, you should know in this circumstance, you're in, good, you're in a good place. Hakshiva, lai, uh, excuse me, hakshiva, listen up. Layesha mehai latistefi. El istefi menevuchanesar harasha dematil ke'arye. So the pasuk describes how he has this reference to a layesha. Laisha, the Gemara's understanding, is a reference to a lion. And as a result, what the Navi is saying to Am Yisrael is, don't be nervous about Sanheriv who's, fo- who's coming closer. Rather, Hakshivi, not Hakshiva, it's interesting, the Gemara has Hakshiva. Hakshivi, Laisha. The Pasuk says, Hakshivi, Laisha. Listen carefully to the lion who's approaching. Meaning, Sanheriv might not pose much of a, of a threat. However, you should know who will pose a threat. It's in the future. It's what's coming. And that's Nebuchadnezzar HaRasha Dematil. We switch the taf with the sheen. Mashal, of course, means it's likened to. It's a parable. It's similar to Aryeh. So Nebuchadnezzar is the reference then of Yeshaya. Don't be nervous about the uh, upcoming quote-unquote threat of Sanheriv will handle him. Start singing songs about your uh, ability to overcome and about God's uh, miracles for you. They're about to come. They're imminent. Rather, be nervous about Nebuchadnezzar, who's off in the future, of course, will destroy the Mikdash. Shene'emar, how do you know that Nebuchadnezzar is likened to a lion, as the Pasuk says in Yirmiyahu, ala aryeh mesubbecho. Pasuk describes him as an Aryeh, that's a lion. Says the Gemara, well, the Pasuk furthermore has the following words. Can you explain to me these words? Again, Pasuk said, Sahali kolech bat galim. We describe those as words of the Navi turning to Am Yisrael and saying, Rejoice, you have good things upcoming. Hakshivi laisha, rather listen carefully, be nervous, and understand you need to improve yourself because of a new Khanesar. But then the last words in the Pasuk are, Aniyah anatot, which initially the Gemara understood as names of places, which in turn were, different stops along the way as Sanheriv approached. Now the Gemara will draw significance in just a few lines to why do we care about the fact that he stopped at diff- 10 different places along his uh, approach of Am Yisrael. But in this moment, says the Gemara, what do those words mean? They have to know that word Anatot is most associated with one Navi. It's Yirmiyah. We'll see it in a mo- moment, the Pasuk. Yirmiyah came from Anatot. Ba'anatot Hashem Be'eris Bin Yamin in the very first Pasuk of Yirmiyah. So as a result, already when you hear those words, that word Anatot, it's supposed to conjure in your mind imagery of Yirmiyahu Hanavi. What's Aniyah then? Says the Gemara, what do those words mean? My 
Aniya Anatot, what do those words mean that Yeshayahu, as he's dealing with Sanhiriv, is prophesying and, men- and, and mentioning? Atid Yirmiya ben Hilkiya umitnabe ala me Anatot. Dichtiv, divrei Yirmiya ben Hilkiyahu min ha Kohanim asher be Anatot be'eretz binyamin. Uh, he's prophesying and talking about Nebuchadnezzar, who will come in the future, who will be the prophet then, who's the Navi who's going to be leading Am Yisrael. It's the one who's going to be responding. From a place called Anatot. Who's that? That's none other than Yirmiyahu. So the eyes of the rabbis, it means, in a very eerie way, the ending was, so to speak, uh, already understood and felt by, at the very least, the Navi and perceived by the people before the ending. We're in a moment of of rejoicing, of triumph. We overcome, we're about to overcome Sanhariv, but we're already realizing that there's something ominous down the road. And as a result, it's really a call for them to strengthen themselves. Okay, the Gemara just finishes up this thought and realizes, well, you told me that Nebuchadnezzar is likened to a lion. The pasuk that's mentioned in Yeshayahu calls him a laish. The pasuk that you like, that you, that you called attention to, was in Yirmiyahu Perek Dalit, where he was referred to as an Aryeh. Is that the same thing? Is a laish and Aryeh? Both of them are a reference to lions. But the Gemara is uncertain about that at this moment. So on the one hand, you told me, Laish, it's Nebuchadnezzar who's likened to a lion. How do you know? Because Pasu calls him an Aryeh. Aryeh and Laish are the same thing. So the Gemara asks, and of course the Gemara answers, yes. Says the Gemara, Middame, can you compare these two references, one Laish and the other Aryeh, Hatam, Ari. Over there, the Pasuk, the second Pasuk in Yirmiyah, the last one we mentioned, Dafsadidale Damut Bet, calls him an Aryeh, an Ari. Hacha, over here, by Yeshayah, where he has this prophecy to Am Yisrael during times of Sanhariv and Hizkiyah, he's talking about a Laish. Amar Biyohanan says to Biyohanan, not a problem, nothing that should bother you. Shisha Shemot Yesh Ari. You should know there are six separate names for a lion. Elohen, here they are, Ari, Kefir, Lavi, Laish, Shahal, Shahat, period. Uh, which means to say there are six ways of referring to a lion. All of them are identical one to the other. They're synonymous one with the other. In truth, this sort of Gemara will come up elsewhere when the Gemara talks about, and you wonder, here we understand this in terms of interpreting Pesukim. Sometimes the Gemara will say, you should know these three words all mean the same thing. Were the rabbis grammarians? Was it uh, for some reason necessary? The answer is absolutely in commerce. If I'm coming to you and I say, hey, Rabbi, I'd like to buy an Aryeh, and you hand me something, and it's known colloquially as a Laish, I might claim it was a Mekah Ta'ut. I was interested in Aryeh, and you gave me a Laish. You point to the words of the rabbis in this context, and you say, no, they're synonymous. We don't distinguish between those two names. But over here, for interpreting the Pesukim, the Gemara needs to mention, you have six separate names. They're all, in turn, you know, would be referred to, or a way of referring to Nebuchadnezzar. So concludes the Gemara in this thought, says the Gemara, well, if were to count the names of the places then, the names of the places that Sanhariv stopped at, if we now discredit, if we now threw out that last pasuk, the last pasuk of the Sahali and, and Sahali Kolech and so forth, that whole pasuk is a message of the Naviti Israel. So we're really only dealing with the pasuk beforehand, Ba'al Ayat, Abar Migron, and so forth. If you count up the names of the places in that pasuk, there's only nine, but the rabbis mentioned there were ten places that Sanhariv stopped. Says the Gemara Ihateh, if you really took out Anatot and anything and everything mentioned in that second pasuk, Basru Lehu, you've now uh, diminished, 
You now subtracted the names of places. In turn, you told me there were 10 places. There really are only nine. Answers the Gemara, it seemed as if in the Pasuk, uh, the, the, the double mention of Avru Ma'abara are two, are one, is one place. The Pasuk says over here in Yeshayahu Perek Yod, Pasuk Kaftet, the very beginning, it says Averu Ma'abara. It doesn't sound like it's two places. It sounds like he passed by Ma'abara. Instead, the Gemara suggests Tartenin, who that was really mention of two separate places, which means to say from a technical standpoint, again, its significance we'll discover in a moment or two, we now are able to count up the 10 places that Sanhedrin stopped at on his march to take over Yehuda and Binyamin Hizkiyahu during this time period. Says the Gemara, all right, that being the case, I now want to go on to the next Pasuk. Now it appears as if we're going to make more intricate uh, diukim in the Navi. We have a lot more to do. A long protracted story from here on in. Basically, it's one long story, the rest of the Amud. Says the Gemara, the next pasuk in Sefer Yeshayel goes like this. My, what does it mean when the next pasuk says, Od hayom benov la'amod. There's still a day for standing up or being situated straight in Nov. What does that have to do with anything? We're dealing with the advance of Sanhariv. Nov is a place we are familiar with, though. Where are we familiar with the name of this place? Nov. Nov was the place, the Ir HaKohanim. We know about it from our history with regards to David and Shaul. When David was running from Shaul, he was taken in by a city known as Nov. It was where the Kohanim were. They helped him. They gave him some bread. Um, uh, there was an individual there, Doeg, who's watching how they're treating David. He goes back and reports to, to his master, Shaul. Shaul, after hearing about this, enraged and convinced by Doeg that this was an act of rebellion against the king, determines that this entire city needs to be wiped out. And he goes and he massacres at first 85 of the Kwanim and then everyone in the city. And it's a very tragic moment and certainly in the life of Shaul, it is to a full extent the final downfall with regards to the reign of Shaul. It's not a good moment for David. David does inspire this quote unquote by his participation without dealing with it politically correct. And in turn, there's a mass massacre of this city. It's a stain on Shaul. It's a stain the rabbis will have it on David. Certainly for Doeg, he was one of those why is it a stain on David? We'll deal with it in a second. First, let me read in the Gemara that they're going to blame David. But, I mean, you, you want, uh, let's, let's do it now. The answer is, if David was careful with regards to his engagement then and to understanding what the ramifications would be afterwards, he would have to be preemptive in terms of protecting them. Instead, he kind of lets them take him in. He doesn't realize the optics that look altogether wrong, it does appear as if they're aiding in a rebellion against the king, and as a result, you're right, but, uh, you know, in defending David, but the Hachamim see this as a stain on David. And lastly, Doeg, he was one of those, uh, one of those individuals in our Mishnah, one of the Hediotot, who lost their Chilek La'olam Haba because of this act. And so we're really dealing with a circumstance, a situation which was horrible and terrible, that's what the word and the name of the place, Nov, is supposed to conjure up in our minds immediately. What's that? Because he, he goes, he tells Shaul, he incites. Yes, yes, yes. So ultimately, Dabi didn't realize how far Shaul would go. He didn't 
contemplate that. And Again, if it was if it was just that he didn't realize, he'll say, "Be honest." The Gemara is going to be not angry at him, but it's going to put a little bit of blame on him. I'll talk in in context about some of the tishubot later on in this context with regards to this. But anyway, says the Gemara. Uh, so says the Gemara. What does it mean when the pasuk talks, talks about nov? All right, now we'll define it, and in turn we'll spend some time developing a story that the rabbis seem to have had in their arsenal. First and foremost, says the Gemara, the reason Nov is mentioned in this context is in a very strange and hard to explain fashion, the rabbis envision, uh, so to speak, we have references with regards to this in the Torah in one or two places. You know, there's until the fourth, because the, the Avon Ha'emori was not complete until the fourth generation, it said at Berit Ben Abitarim. What does that mean? It's, so to speak, HaKadosh Baruch has a certain capacity with regards to his involvement and governance of the world. We know it from the Gemara Masechet Berachot and Davzayin with regards to Bil'am in this past week's parasha, right? Bil'am in the eyes of the rabbis is trying to pinpoint the moment, the second during which he can tap into the wrath of God. Now, there's some sort of vision amongst the hachamim, uh, the, some sort of tradition they have that there are moments and times during which, quote unquote, it's sha'at hadin versus sha'at rahamim. Not a simple feat, not a simple concept. Anyway, says the Gemara, this sin of nov, which is hovering above David and all of Israel to a certain extent as well, has not yet uh, expired. Uh, God, so to speak, still is looking or is still in the mode of retribution. As a result, the, the, the derasha goes like this. That day was the last day, as Maharsha interprets this Gemara, in which the Avon of Nov was still present, quote, quote unquote, in the books of God, quote unquote, in the governance of this world, which means to say it's still dangerous for us to involve ourselves in some sort of battle with an enemy because Nov is still on our sleeve. It's still staining our shirts. Amre le kaldae, as a result, envisioned the rabbis, the sorcerers of Sanhiriv said to him, I azalat ha'idna yachalat la. If you go now, if you go now to fight against Israel, against the Hiskianis people, you'll win. You'll be able to succeed. You'll win in the battle. But if you don't go today and now, when it's still ripe and the sin of Nov is still present, you won't be able to overcome them and to beat them. It says the Gemara, as a result, Orha, a path, a path which would have taken, in a regular circumstance, uh, attacking and uh, approaching with uh, over 100, 000, almost 200,000 people, would have taken at least 10 days. By the way, now we understand that reference of 10 stops, because those 10 stops, the vision is, were done. He did in a single day. So Sanhedrin, hearing this, realizing I need to capitalize on the opportunity. My sorcerers have given me advice. This is the moment in time during which I have to attack. It's the only way I'm going to achieve success in this uh, battle against Israel. He does it very quickly. Ten at once. Yes. No, to me it seems that there was a lack of David that he couldn't imagine that Shaul would go this far to potentially kill the Is this the same? All right, you're ahead of me. I already mentioned it, but I will give, give it a few minutes when we deal with the David issue. At this point, so, go ahead. Similar with the Jews were. At that point, they never thought that Sanhedrin would be able to go that far. So where, like, did they ever envision that this would, they'd be able to... They'd come to this. I mean, keep... To this point. 
I, I, I hear you. Ultimately speaking, they're going to win. I mean, and the Navi tells them, don't worry, you, you have this. I, I hear you. Anyway, it says the Gemara, Kimatuli Yerushalayim, when Sarheriv and his people make their way to Jerusalem, Shadele Bistarke Adesalik Viativ Mi'ilave Shura. Says the Gemara, what, what happened was when they get to Jerusalem, to Yerushalayim, they uh, put in front or put down some sort of mats or pillows on which Sanhiriv climbs up and looks over the wall of Yerushalayim. Until he's able to take in the entirety of the city. So instead of reaching the wall initially, he just climbs above it, climbs to a, uh, and is able to perch himself at a place that he sees the city. And you and I, envisioning the scene, are going to understand immediately how he's taken in by its glory and its beauty and its grandeur. Instead, says the Gemara, what does he see? Ki when he sees the well, I imagine as the old city of Jerusalem, probably even smaller than that, izoter It was small in his eyes. It is pretty small. Even an ancient city uh, building, I imagine. That's not such a huge city. This is what I've been hearing about? This is the destination? Amar hala da'hi kartad Yerushalayim de'ala argeshit kal masharayati ve'ala kavshit kol medinata? This is the city of Jerusalem for which I caused havoc to my legions, to my armies. I rushed them to here. I had to conquer all sorts of different places along the approach to Yerushalayim just to get to this. This is what I was after. He's disgusted. He's let down. He's been looking forward to this. He's been approaching. He's been conquering. He's been speaking up. Because it's small and apparently unimpressive. The Gemara says small, zutar, sounds like in terms of size, but it might be in terms of, in terms of strength as well. That's right. Halahi ze'ira ve'halasha mikol karche amamaya de kavshit. This is small, and there it is. There's the word, ve'halasha, and it's weaker as a city, I guess in terms of strategic uh, battle, in terms of just uh, inhabitants. It's just a weak and small city. Mikol karche amamaya de kavshit, from all the other cities of all the other nations that I have in my long and storied career uh, conquered, this is, this is the lowest. This is what I was coming for. Bitkof yadai ala vekam umanid bereshe Movilu mighty bide al turbet makdesha de bision ve al azarata de birushalayim. Okay, so before I, I, I read those words initially, kol karche amamaya de kavshit bitkof yadai Allah. And it says, from all the nations, all the cities that I, with the strength of my hand, conquered. Okay, so that's the end of that sentence. Then says the Gemara, the kam, and he got up. Sounds like he's getting up as he was watching. Now he's getting up. Umanid bereshe. Menid bereshe means and he kind of, in a, in a disgusted way, just gestures with his head, like, you know, kind of uh, whips his head to the side, like, this is, this is a waste of my time. Movilu mighty biade. And then he was kind of waving his hand in a dismissive way, like this. Al turbet makdesha. He's looking at the mountain of the Beta Mikdash. Tur means a mountain. And it's kind of waving his head, you know, kind of nodding off his head disgustedly. And then waving his hand, the Bision, which is in Jerusalem, the Hara Mikdash, Hara Moriyat, the Al Azarata de Birushalayim. And on the Azara, which is there in Yerushalayim as well, accompanying the Beta Mikdash, he's just disgusted by it, waving it off, uh, uh, wincing, and showing everyone. How with his grimaces, how unimpressed he is. 
Amre, his people say to him, all right, general, master, king, we understand that you're not so impressed, but let's just finish it off. I mean, it seems like you're walking away already. Look what we've done to get here. His people say to him, let's just outstretch our hand into this. Let's conquer it now. Let's just take care of this while we have the opportunity. He responds to them, Sanhiriv, Tamhitu. Tamitu, one of two interpretations in Rashi, but what it amounts to is, I'm not certain now is the right time. You're tired. I'm questioning your opinion that we do it now because there is Torah Haderich. We've just approached something that should have taken 10 days, took us a single day. It's evening time, I imagine. It's not time for us to conquer. Now let's wait, strategically speaking. Tomorrow morning we'll handle this. Keep in mind what his sorcerers said to him. Sorcerers told him it's today or never. Tomorrow what I want you to do is bring for me each one of you, I want you to take gulamo harag mineh. I want you to take a small portion of a brick from the wall. He's got 185 at least men with him. We'll see in the pasuk in a moment or two. I want you each, uh, how many stones are over Why here? The only thing that's standing up today is the wall. Is, is, is that wall? Is it the same wall? I don't know. But anyway, you know, what I want you to do, it's a, it's a different wall, but you know, but there is portions of that, I imagine. Anyway, so he says, I want you to take a portion of that wall. Instead of fighting, instead of breaching with our might, everybody just grab one stone. That's it. We'll be able to sit. It's such a dismissive way of dealing with this. In a normal circumstance, we're going to have to take our, our warriors and our knights and our... I don't know, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, whatever, in order to break artillery, that's what I need. In order to get in, uh, guys, just take a, br- a brick out tomorrow. Miyad, vayibalailahu, vayyesem alach Hashem, vayach b'machane ashur mea u'shmonim v'chamisha elef ayashkimu b'boker, v'yene kulam pigarim metim. What happens is that very night, of course, that was their opportunity that day, they squandered the opportunity. It was that very night, 185,000 by the messenger of God. Yeah, I hear you. You'd have to do a, a, a you'd have to do an analysis of where else we see it. Yeah, inshallah, I'll give you credit if I remember. Anyway, so it means that's that's the lost opportunity. Says the Gemara in responding to this, in deriving a message to each of us. It's about this sort of circumstance that. People express and say, bat dina, if you go to sleep on the case, if you push off the fight or the circumstance and disagreement with another that you have, batel dina, the case is done. If you want to push it off, you want to not deal with it in the moment, you have to understand you're effectively giving up on the potential victory in any and every circumstance you'll be dealing with. Now, the Gemara has long-lasting repercussions and messages with regards to us, just in terms of that detail as well. It's a, it's a description of there being an auspicious time for taking care of things. And I'm not even, for the moment, talking about the sorcerer's message and vision. I'm talking about in our own lives, when there's momentum, when things are rolling in your favor, when you're in a positive role, you should be capitalizing on the opportunity instead of pushing off and strategizing for a future time period. That seems to be clear from the Gemara. Sanhiriv, quote unquote, lost his opportunity because he didn't act 
in the appropriate time. All right, we're still not done. We've only had one reference to Nov. There's still more to be done with Nov. There's still more to be done with regards to David and Nov. We dealt with Hiskia, Sanhedrin and Nov. Let's turn it back now to David and Nov. You see, the Pasuk says in, in Sefer Shemuel Bet, V'yishbi benov asher bilideh harafa u'mishkal keno shelosh me'ot mishkal mechoshet v'hu hagur hadasha v'yomer lehakot et David. This was an individual, his name was Yishbi. The Pasuk refers to him as Yishbi Benod, which of course is going to get us excited. What's with the reference of Nov? Why are we talking about Nov? Nov is the Ir HaKohanim. Who was Yishbi Benov? What we know about Yishbi Benov is that he's a child of Harafa. Arafa, in the eyes of the rabbis, I'm sure Rabbi could give you more than me on this, the Gemara Masechet Sota envisions her as being Orpa. Uh, she being Orpa and her children being Goliath and this Yish, and, and this Yishbi. Uh, so it means it's the brother of Goliath. That much we know. The daughter of Orpa, the son of Orpa, the Gemara will refer to over here. That's the rabbinic vision with regards to who he was. He, after the death of Goliath, his brother, by the hands of David, is interested in taking down David. As a result, the Pasuk describes how he has a strong and expensive either handle or spear itself in terms of fighting, and he's wearing new armor, and he's ready, lehakote David, he's ready to attack David. But for our purposes, before we talk about the attack, What's with the Nov reference? That's not where we know Goliath was involved uh, in his dwelling. What's that? He was from Pelishtim. Um, so is that specifically Nov? Generally speaking, uh, actually, I think it's Gov we refer to. Regardless, the Gemara picks up on this and understands there must be something with regards to Nov. Uh, even, well, anyway, it says the Gemara, Amar Rav Yehuda, Mai, what does it mean, Vishbi Benov? Why is, this re- why is he referred to as Yishbi in Nov? Amarav Yehuda, Amarav, Ish Sheba al Iske Nov. This Yishbi was a man, Ish, Yishbi, was a man who came al Iske Nov, on matters of Nov. What do you mean on matters of Nov? David. The rabbis envision it as follows. God turns to David and says to him, Until when is this sin of what took place in Nov, which I blame you partially for, David, till when is that going to be hidden in your hand? It's time to expose it. It's time to deal with it. It was by your hands that the city of Nov, that of Kohanim, was killed off. Again, David can't defend himself in the eyes of the Hachamim. Why not? Because he should have played some sort of role in staving that off, in realizing the danger of accepting food in how it looked wrong and how he could have dealt with it in the aftermath, and he doesn't. There is amongst the early poskim, and then later as well, a question with regards to if you send the messenger and something bad happens to the messenger, the messenger gets killed. Do you need now... Kapara, do you need to do Teshubah? After all, all you did was send the messenger. After all, all you did was set that into motion. You didn't put them in the place of danger, but they were in a place of danger and they died. Is that on your head? The poskim discussed this over the course of generations. Can we compare it? Should we compare it to David or not? It's an interesting question well, to be developed and discussed. Everybody's well aware. Everybody's well aware, yeah. But... Uh, <laughs> 
it's a question. It's a question. It has to be. It's a question to he should have been perhaps a little bit more hidden about it. And furthermore, afterwards, he should have realized what was happening. There should have been a certain warning. He's only in. It's only. I understand, but but he needed to think about it. Is the point? I guess. I mean, this one's even, even crazier. It's because of you and by your hands that Doeg lost his olam haba. Seriously? And you should know Shaul and his three sons are killed because of you. Because, of course, this all spirals out of control after the killing of Nov Ir HaKohanim. Resonecha, here's your choice, David. Resonecha yichlu zar'acha. Do you want that your lineage, your descendants will be cut off, will die? That will be the punishment for uh, your negligence. Oh, timaser biyad oyev. Or you yourself will be handed over to the enemy. He's blamed for all of it. Everybody gets blamed. Yes, yes. Of, listen, of course Shaul is to be blamed. Of course Doeg is to be blamed. The fact that David is somehow an ancillary cause to this... I'm certain. I'm certain. I'm certain, but keep in mind again, the way the post scheme in turn question our own circumstance. They say this is not only David. Yes, Joseph? Okay, quite the opposite. So maybe he needed to speak more. Maybe he should have said more. That shows after me, so that they're aware of the danger. I know. And the Semach Sedek writes that in context of the Teshubah, where he's dealing with what I was addressing. Yes. All right, anyway, says the Gemara, Amar Lefanav, Ribbono Shelolam, says David to God, he says, Ribbono Shelolam, Mutav emaser beyadoyev, lo yichle zar'i. I'd rather, it's better that I myself deal with this, hand me over to the enemy, don't touch my children. Yomahad, indeed, one day it happened, Nafat liskor bizayi, he went to hunt in some way, went to trap animals. Atas satan v'iddame le ketavya, the satan comes and... Um, uh, portrays itself or himself as a, uh, a, a deer. Patak begira, he shoots an arrow at it to try to catch it, to try to hunt it down. Velamatye, and he's, it's a, he uh, evades it, he avoids getting hit, the Satan who looks like a, uh, a deer. Mashche ada amtaya le'eretz pelishtim, the deer, the uh, Satan brings David all the way without his realizing as he's chasing after and trying to shoot it down into the uh, land, into the area of the Pilishtim. Now Yishbi, the brother of Goliath, sees David in his zone. There's the guy who killed my brother Goliath. And very easily overtakes him. He ties up David. He folds him over. He takes him and he places him folded over and tied up underneath an olive press. There's a miracle which takes place in that moment to David. 
the ground underneath him becomes uh, becomes uh, less uh, strong, it becomes softer. As a result, if you're underneath the press and he's going to press down on it or sit on it in order to, to squeeze you and to suffocate you, if there's now space because the ground is a little bit damp and as a result you're able to sink into it a little bit, you have extra time until the press actually hits you. Hainu dikhtiv, it's about that which perhaps David was referring in the Pasuk in Tilim, Tarhib Sa'adi Tahtai my steps underneath me were, were uh, more spread out. In other words, instead of envisioning it as me being able to step faster and walk quicker, it's a reference to underneath there was something that was more spread out. That's what saved my life. That day, so here you are envisioning on the one side of your screen, David underneath the olive press with Yishai Benov on top of it, ready to squash him to death. And now on the other side of your screen, you're seeing, screen you're seeing Avishai Ben Siruya. Avishai Ben Siruya was a good guy on David's side, one of his uh, fighters and people who helped him. That day was a Friday afternoon. Avishai Ben Siruya was washing his head. With four jugs, four barrels, four something of water. Significance of the number four, another time in Midrashim, but over here he is washing himself. Interestingly, Beit Yosef in Siman Resh Samech quotes from Mordechi that this is one of several proofs from the Gemara you're supposed to wash your hair on Friday afternoon. Otherwise, why is that being mentioned? Unless there's other reasons as well, but we derive Hadacha from it as well. Anyway, here he is, he's washing his hair. Hazinu Katme Dama. He sees in the water stains and strains of blood. Avishai picks up and then realizes there's trouble. Something's wrong. Why am I seeing blood in what should be water? Alternatively, a different version. There was a dove which came in front of him and Rashi says it seems to be in duress. It's making sounds and fluttering its, fluttering its wings in a way that makes it clear it's tortured, it's suffering. Amar, Avishai, after he sees one of these things, either the blood in the water or the other version, the, <coughs> the, uh, the, the dove under duress, Amar, Keneset Yona Liona Imtila Am Yisrael is compared to a dove. Shene'emar kanfei Yona nechpa bekesef. The pasuk says that uh, we are in some way like the dove, and in turn it envisions our wings, our silver wings. But anyway, Shema Mina, I understand if the dove is in duress, if I'm seeing the blood in the water, David Malkadi Yisrael besa'ara, the head. The, uh, the, the centerpiece of this nation must be Besa'ar, must be in pain. Besa'ar Ashare, he is in the midst of, of pain. Atalebete, Avishai comes to his house. Vela and he does not find David. He realizes my hunch, my fear is actually true. Where is he? Amar, he says, I'm going to have to go find him. However, in order to find him, I'm going to have to borrow part of his possessions. I need to take his horse, or more specifically, his mule. Am I allowed to do so? Why do I need to take his horse or mule? It's going to be the fastest, the strongest. It's the only way I'm going to find him and be able to help him out. Tenan, the Mishnah taught us earlier in our Masechet, en rochvin al suso, you're not allowed to ride on the horse of a king. Ven yoshvin al kiso, you're not allowed to sit on his throne. Ven mishtamishin b'shalviton, you're not allowed to use his scepter. Bishata sakana mai, what about during time of danger? Can I, in this moment, at this situation, during this situation, use the king's 
possessions in order to go save the king. After all, it's a safek pikuach nefesh. Atasha il be midrasha. In the midrash, Avishai comes and he asks the uh, scholars, he asks in the Beit Midrash, Amru During times of danger, of course, you're allowed to go ahead and do whatever you need in order to save the life of the king. He mounts, he climbs onto the mule of the king, which apparently is going to be moving really quickly. And he steps up and he starts moving. The ground, so to speak, moves quickly underneath him. It jumps for him. The Gemara at the bottom of the Amud will talk about other circumstances in the Midrash, in the eyes of the Hachamim. Where else this happened? What's the most famous one, Rabbi? Of course, Yaakov, Esav, when he's fleeing from Naftali as well. Okay, we'll deal with those at the bottom of the Amud. But what happens over here is he climbs onto and begins riding on the mule of the king. And as he's approaching, well, the land of the Pelishtim, where I guess he imagines or realizes David is in danger, he sees the mother of Goliath, of Yishbi. What was her name? Orpa. All right, we'll continue with the story tomorrow. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'amen.